This morning's reading is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we think of um, uh, the passage in the the Gospels where your uh, followers came to you and said that uh, you alone have the words of life. Uh, Father, we confess that we go to all sorts of different places to try to find the words of life when only they can be found in you. So we're thankful for your word this morning. We're thankful that they uh, show us what this life of faith really looks like. So use your word. May your spirit use it uh, to work in our hearts this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, maybe you've heard this term. We've probably, if you've been around in, in faith circles before, you've probably heard it before. Uh, but we've all, most of us have heard the term of a Sunday Christian. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. But it's a term uh, that is used to describe someone uh, who looks the part and someone who uh, says all the right things when everybody is watching and with them on Sunday at church. Uh, This is someone whose faith has a a really strong impact on his or her life on Sundays. But every other day, the Monday through Saturday that we all experience, his or her faith uh, makes very little impact on their life. This person's uh, faith or spirituality, to use a modern term, uh, has been relegated simply to a religious exercise that happens on Sunday mornings and nothing else or nothing more. A lot of people have tried to address it in their own way. Uh, Billy Sunday, who was a a famous preacher uh, years and years ago, said that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. Uh, Shannon Alder said this. She said, your religion is not what you do on Sunday, It is how you live Monday through Saturday. I think part of this uh, has crept into our thinking because of our tendency sometimes to divide the secular and the sacred. We like to think about what we do at church as something that is sacred, and because of that, we apply a, a certain amount of weight or respect to the things that we do on Sunday, and everything else is relegated to the secular or relegated to the worldly, and somehow it feels like it has lesser value. But the scriptures are incredibly clear that all of life is sacred. 
that if God is Lord over all things and sovereign over all things, then everything is infused with the sacred. And it means that our faith isn't just relegated to Sunday worship or some other religious exercise. Instead, it ought to impact every sector of our lives from the really weighty things to the really mundane things of our lives as well. Uh, Maybe you've heard of of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a writer. He was a pastor. uh, He was a theologian. And uh, he did all this in the context of Nazi Germany. And uh, he actually worked against the the Nazi party in Germany, and it ended up taking his life. He ended up losing his life in his uh, opposition to the Nazi party. And he wrote a lot about this very thing. His, his biographer said this, he said, Bonhoeffer began proactively putting forth the notion that Christ had been exiled from the lives of most Christians. Of course, he said, we build him a temple, but we live in our own houses. Religion had been exiled to Sunday morning, to a place into which one gladly withdraws for a couple hours, but only to get back to one's place of work immediately afterward. He said that one cannot give God only a small compartment in our spiritual life, but we must give him everything or nothing. And I think that those sorts of thoughts were what was in Paul's mind as he was writing this letter. Because in our passage this morning, he gets wildly applicable about what this faith means in our everyday lives. If you've been with us the past couple weeks, we've been looking at this letter uh, that was written to a small church uh, in a declining city called uh, Colossae. It's dripping with affection. Paul's writing it to these young believers. He himself is in prison for his faith. And as he opens the letter, he, he begins to write to them about what the nature of this faith in Jesus Christ is all about. And he starts with this major theological teaching. He talks about uh, the nature of who Jesus was and why his deeds, of, his deeds and works of redemption were so important. He talks about all these uh, incredible spiritual blessings that we by faith have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He goes on and on for these beautiful chapters at the beginning of the letter. But the new Paul, just like all the other New Testament writers, were never content to leave things purely in the theological. You see, they believed that the theological was very important, but if it just remained head knowledge, if it just remained facts that we need to know and be able to recite back, then it really had no ultimate value. So what they did is they always rushed towards practical application of these incredible theological concepts. If these things are true, then this is what it means for our everyday lives. Essentially, if you root your life in Jesus and his work on your behalf, then this is what it will look like in the everyday But it's not a response that comes from a place of duty or a response that comes from a place of guilt. But it's a response that comes from overwhelming gratitude. One commentator said this. He said, like a man who suddenly learns that he has inherited a fortune 
the Colossians are possessed of a new knowledge which cannot but revolutionize their lives. So what Paul does uh, in this section is he gets into the nitty-gritty of relationships and he shows us how this gospel impacts the everyday relationships of our lives. And in a sense, what he's saying is once our vertical relationship with God becomes revolutionized in the gospel, then it will necessarily have impact on our everyday. It will necessarily revolutionize the everyday relationships of our lives. And so what Paul does is he starts with the most basic of relationships. He starts with our families. And you read about it in verses 18 to 21. See, family relationships can be uh, the source of our greatest joy in life, but they can also be the source of some of the greatest hardships in life. And sometimes they're both all at once. They're great joys and they're great hardships. We all have families We all come from somewhere, but what is so unique about our families is that we don't get to choose them. We live in a world that's full of choices. Most of what we do in life is based on our choices, but we cannot choose our families. It's one of those few institutions that we have no choice in joining, and God often gives them to us for better or for worse. I can remember... um, A bit of advice my parents gave uh, myself and my family when we were kids, and it's a bit of advice that I've then uh, used with my own kids as I've talked to them about families. And I can remember it it, it profoundly shaping my thinking, uh, even when I heard my parents say it. They used to tell me that, that who you are around your family is who you really are. Who you are around your family is who you really are. And that's really true because you and I can put on a show very cleverly for the outside world, but we often can't hide our true selves from our families. These are the people that see us when we first wake up in the morning before we've had our cup of coffee. These are the people who awkwardly see us grow through different stages of life. They're the people that we fight for bathroom time with. They're the people that we need to fight often to be in relationship with once we've grown up and we've moved away. And this is what makes families so unique. But at the same time, what we see from the scriptures are that families are precious in God's sight. They're one of the most basic and essential building blocks of human society, and they're the relationships that you and I traffic in every day. So that's why Paul wants to tackle these relationships first. And the first relationship he tackles is is the wife and husband, the relationship, the marriage relationship. He says in verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Paul talks about this a lot. He talks about it all throughout his letters, often in these application stages. And the the fullest extent you read about in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, but you can also see see it in Titus chapter 2, in 1 Peter chapter 2 as well. And in all of these sections, what Paul does is he first instructs the wife to submit to her husband. Now, 
uh, a lot has been made of these verses, and a lot of people react very negatively, especially the wives when they read these verses. They have a really hard time with it because it seems like it is just reinforcing male chauvinism or, or kind of male domination that was absolutely true in Paul's day. When we read this, we think of Archie Bunker uh, from that old television show who would, who would boss his wife around and, and she had no option but to just bow her head and to do her husband's bidding. But that is not what Paul is talking about in this section. He's not telling wives that they have to. Uh, uh, he's not that they have to subvert themselves or or live in sub, sub, submersion. He's not telling them that they have to be uh, doormats or slaves. Instead, what he's telling them is that they have to forego the temptation to rule or dominate their husbands. You see, there's no inferiority that Paul is speaking about here. He's talking about uh, the wife's role of willingly sacrificing her desire to dominate for the sake of her spouse. Now, husbands, you are not off the hook either. Paul has words for you as well in this passage. You are called to love your wives, to not be harsh, to not be domineering towards them. Ephesians builds on this and he says that husbands are to love their wives with the same self-sacrificial degree that Christ has loved you. And I think I have to, I have to say that if husbands really loved their wives in this way, daily, day in and day out, that I don't think wives would have any trouble submitting to them at all. See, in the end, what Paul is talking about here is a mutual submission in the context of marriage, where one's needs and wants become secondary to their spouse. Essentially, Paul's saying, wives, be Jesus to your husbands. Husbands, be Jesus to your wives. Be Christ to one another. That is what the gospel means in this context. Uh, Interestingly enough, parenthetically, uh, there's a lot more to be said about this very topic. And it just so happens that this is the very thing our Meditations on Marriage class is talking about today. So if you'd like to explore this more, there's your commercial uh, to join us in the next hour for the Meditations on Marriage class. Paul then moves on from this this, uh, husband and wife relationship to talk about parents and children. He says in verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Children's children, you ought to obey your wife is, or your, your parents is what Paul says. Fathers and mothers, you're called to discipline your children, but not so harshly that they become prone to a, a sort of anger or discouragement. And what Paul's saying is that the gospel needs to impact how we parent our children and how we as children interact with our parents. I don't know about you, but... Uh, uh, as a kid, we grew up going to church, and we went to a couple different churches as we as we were growing up. And I can re- always remember, for some reason, that what seemed to happen in our family is that the worst fights always happened. Sunday morning or on the way to church. And what's been so fascinating about that is it is the exact same thing in my family. 
The tears, the anger, the screaming always seem to happen on Sunday mornings before we go to church. Getting out of the house becomes this monumental task full of tears and anger and frustration. And it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right that we have such a difficult morning and then we go to church. And maybe it's just the the juxtaposition between the two that makes it feel so bad, where on one side we have fighting and anger and hostility, and then we go worship Jesus with our smiles on, right? It just feels so bizarre. But friends, what Paul is saying here is that the gospel has as much to do with the fight that happens before church as it does with what we do in the context of a worship service. The gospel touches everything and every relationship. Paul then moves on from family relationships to talk about societal relationships. He talks about it uh, in verse 22 uh, through the first verse of chapter 4. He instructs uh, slaves to obey their masters, even when their masters are not looking. And he instructs masters to treat their uh, slaves justly and fairly. And this is another verse that's, that's uh, raised eyebrows by people who read it. And they get somewhat frustrated with Paul because he doesn't speak against uh, the institution of slavery that was very uh, prevalent in uh, his world. But when we, when we do that, we in some ways impose some unfair categories on the ancient world where uh, slavery was uh, very common and was uh, just uh, accepted culturally. We also, when we read this, ought not to think about a one-to-one correspondence between what we've seen in our uh, modern American culture in the Civil War period with the ideas of slavery versus what Paul is talking about here. There's just not a whole lot of correspondence between the two. But that doesn't mean that the institution was not just as corrupt in Paul's day as it has been in our history. So instead of attacking it outright, what Paul does is he deals with it from the angle of the idea of dignity. You see, you have to ask, whenever you look at this passage, you have to ask whether Paul is actually just reinforcing cultural stereotypes here. Is he reinforcing husbands simply oppressing their wives and parents oppressing their children and masters oppressing their slaves? But actually, if you look very closely, Paul is doing the complete opposite. Because if he was just reinforcing stereotypes, he would only have instructions for the children and only instructions for the wives and only instructions for the slaves. But instead, he's telling everyone, everyone, that the gospel impacts their relationships. He's infusing the the culturally inferior with dignity by instructing those who may have the temptation to oppress them. You see, culturally in Paul's day, men were oppressed by women, parents oppressed children, masters oppressed slaves. And what Paul is saying is that oppression cannot be tolerated because the gospel speaks to the dignity of every single person. Person, The culturally superior and the culturally inferior are all infused with a sacred dignity. 
I think we also have to be really careful uh, not to make a one-to-one correspondence between this slave-master idea and the employer-employee relationship that you and I traffic in every day as well. But there are some parallels to what Paul is saying here. We all have bosses. Maybe we answer to clients. These are all people that, that we answer to, people that we have to give an account to. And Paul is saying that we need to work fully for them, both when they are looking and also when they are not looking. And sometimes we get to become the boss, and we need to treat those who work for us with a certain measure of kindness and fairness and justice. He's saying that we as bosses are prone to get caught up in our superior positions and in the process end up trampling on those people who feel inferior to us. So what Paul does is he attacks all of these different relationships. And what he's trying to do here is he's giving us instructions about the Monday through Saturday relationships and the impact that the gospel is supposed to have on them, the impact that the gospel is supposed to have on our real lives, the things we traffic in every single day. But I think there's even a greater narrative that is at play in all these relationships and really all of the relationships that we have in life. Because what Paul is saying here is he's speaking about always looking past the relationship ultimately to our relationship with Jesus Christ. In effect, he's saying, see your submission to these things and these relationships ultimately as your submission to Jesus Christ himself. Just look at the passage. He says, wives submit as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, obey your wives as Christ has loved the church. Children, obey your parents as is pleasing to the Lord. Slaves, work hard as for the Lord. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. See, what he's saying is he's calling us to see Christ behind all the relationships of our lives. To let our relationship with Christ be the ultimate thing that defines all of the relationships that we have in our lives. Wives, do you have a hard time submitting to your husbands? Husbands, do you have a hard time loving your wives to the same measure that Christ loves his people? If so, then look to Jesus. Children, do you have a hard time obeying your parents? Parents, do you have a hard time sometimes tolerating your kids? Then Paul says, look to Christ. Employees, do you hate your boss? Can you not stand his presence? Bosses, are you having a hard time being patient with your employees? Then look to Christ, the ultimate relationship that stands behind all these other relationships. And when we look to Christ, when we look beyond the relationship to look to Christ, what we do is we see one who himself submitted his life. You see, when Christ was uh, in the garden, uh, uh, right before he was about to be uh, crucified, uh, the scriptures tell us that um, 
in, in tears and in sweat, uh, he came before the Father in a desolate place. And when he came before the Father, he prayed a prayer that every time I read it just blows my mind. He prayed before God, his Father, and he essentially said, Father, is there another way? Is there another way we can accomplish this without me having to go through what I am about to go through? Is there a way that I can get around this? Is there a plan B that means I don't have to go through the cross? But at the end of the prayer, he said this, but not my will, but yours be done. I can only imagine that uh, when Jesus was, was praying this prayer, Jesus knew his scriptures. So when Jesus prayed this prayer before the Father, he had to be thinking of a verse in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, that says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for our guilt. You see, it was the Father's will that his son be crushed so that you and I could be forgiven. And so our guilt could be taken away. And Jesus perfectly submitted himself to the Father's will. You see, Christ submitted himself to the Father And he calls you and I to submit ourselves in faith by believing in the gospel and entrusting in him with our lives. But submitting ourselves to him in the gospel means ultimately we end up submitting ourselves in all of the relationships of our lives. Friends, this is the Monday to Saturday of the gospel. This is the gospel in our day-to-day routine. This is the gospel in the real world. Let's pray.